you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It. Cut To It. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. You ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. I just got back back in town. Came back. I was up in uh, I was up in Big Sky. Where's that? Montana. Montana? Yeah. There ain't a lot of brothers in Montana. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. School. Why was you up in Big Sky? What was going on yeah. in Montana? My, my what was f- going on in those Montana streets? S- the slopes. Montana slopes. Okay. All right. I was, I was out there skiing. It was good. It was fun. That's my, um, that's my happy place. Okay. It's my favorite place. Why is that? <sighs> it's just peaceful, man. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you're just on the mountain. No agendas. Uh. Well, there is an agenda not to fall. Yeah, I say it's right? a big one. And uh, if you look, too, you know, try to avoid bears. Like last year we were out there and uh, we left and there was a bear. Mm. Um, but it's um, just a good opportunity, good, good, good fellowship. There's about, there's about 15 of us, mm-hmm. um, about three houses, five or six rental cars. Families, guys. No, just all it? guys. Oh, nice. All guys. Um, and these guys all... Most of them, majority of them, uh, you know, they they went to college. Like the 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 core guys went to college. Mm-hmm. So there's some guys who went to Florida. And then I'm I'm friends with a guy that's one of the core guys. Went to Florida together. Yeah, went to okay. Florida together. And then I'm friends with one of the core guys, mm-hmm. um, uh, DC. Shout out to DC. Mm-hmm. And it, over the years, it's just they invite people that they feel. Um, that brings something to the table, whether it's energy, uh, personality, and also too, you know, are you trustworthy a little bit? Okay, right. And so it's it's all good fun. We ski, um, we eat, play cards, tell jokes, talk crap to each other. Okay, so it's like a it's like a it's like a bachelor trip without the the bachelorness. No, 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 no bachelor trip. <laughs> It's, Without the- <laughs> it's it's literally, it is four or five days of during the day skiing in the evenings and in the mornings you're catching up on work, emails, 
And it's just you just skiing, man. It's um, there's some good skiers. There's some guys who don't belong so give on me, skis. Give me, give me the ski highlights. So ski highlight. Um, yeah, any new contraptions? Any any? So 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 here's what happened, right? And so when you say, man, Steve's a skier. Like when I say, I, I just enjoy skiing. That's my little happy place. So when I go back in my history, right? I had Moonlight Basin. I skied seventeen point nine miles. Ooh. Uh, the, my max speed was 45.8. That was downhill. I was moving. Average Man. speed, 16. Ski. Like a little Nissan. Yes. Kia or something. Yep. Total ascend. So I was high as 14,491. Man, I ain't never above. been that high. I ain't never been that high. And then just altitude, 9,254 9, feet. And I hit 12 runs, 17 slopes. That was day one. Day two, oh, yeah. Day two, that's what I, I was – it was good. 23 slopes. Oh, so, so this is what degrees. Need, oh, so we, we showed improvement day two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but, but the last day, that's when I got after. Oh, okay. So you I had 22 miles. I got as high as thirteen thousand five hundred seventy. So what you're saying, you in your bag by day three? Oh, I was. I, well, I switched over to this little thing called a snow, snow go bike. It's like a ski. It's like a a tricycle for skiers. Oh. And you put your feet in. I get to wear, uh, snowboarding boots. Mm-hmm. So if you ever skied, it puts a lot of pressure on your feet and you're locked in. Man, this snow this snow go bike. It was fire. Mm. It was sh- skiing, but without being locked in. But you have a little snowboard freeness. It's, a little, it's like a little hybrid, it, bro. It was awesome. Like, it's, it's, it was it was it was nice. It was it was good, especially after skiing for you know seven, eight, nine hours every mm-hmm. day, and to have this one. So it was nice, man. I, I, I enjoy skiing because it's just a it's a quiet place. There's no economic status. There's no mm-hmm. racial status. There's just you can either ski or you can't. And if you can't, only only person that really it impacts is yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy it. I love it, man. It's one of the few places um, I could just be me, right? Yeah. And you get on, you know, you're on the slope next to somebody, and sometimes you have conversations, sometimes you don't. But it's uh. Skiing is fun, but also, too, if you, when you're on the ski lift, you can also people watch. Mm. You can see people now who. I'm, I'm with that. You can, see who, you can see people who have gotten on the slope and they realize they're green, which is easy, but they're on the, they're on the blue, which is difficult or mm. experienced. Or they, they're blue, but they think they're black diamonds. Oh, and some of the black diamonds. I don't go on some of the black diamonds because of the name. So is, like that, is, that, is that is that the most? So, you, so I'm a, I'm a black I'm diamond. A is, is that yeah. the, like the highs of that's like a black belt of skiing? Yeah, yeah. Here's what. It, yes, it's a black belt, which is you can get your ass whooped. Okay. <laughs> here's some of the names of some of the black diamonds: Bone Crusher, mm. Sticks and Stones, and the last one, the Widow Maker. Oh, the widow makes. Yeah, that ain't that ain't good. No, that ain't good. I'm not going on that one. <laughs> it's telling you if you do not belong here, 
you have found out you will find out the hard way that you shouldn't have got on this. Okay, one. so maybe that's reserved for like your Olympic type of skiers. It ain't. It ain't for me. That's all I know. <laughs> I'm not getting on anything that says you can die in their name tag. Yeah, no. Widowmaker. No, I'm good. But on I, that. I, I enjoy skiing. It's nice. It's fun. It's um, you get up on that mountain, clear air. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nice and. You know, it snowed a few days and it was clear, but one of the cool things is you go high enough. You At one point, I was high enough that you felt like if I can just take another ski lift up, I can maybe touch the clouds on the, other, on the way up to the ski lift. That's how high the mountain was. It was pretty cool. And, and now that's, that's high. That is high, high. That's high, high. yeah. That's higher than Stoop Dog. Yeah, that is really. I ain't never <laughs> been that high. <laughs> but man, it was awesome, man. I love it. I love it. It's just a great place, man. Well, I'm looking place. forward to it, and I think we got someone coming up who uh, has their fair share of experience when it comes to skiing as well. Well, listen, if you're talking about the guy that I think you're talking about, I think so. I'm on a tricycle <laughs> compared to him. Like I'm, I still got my training wheels on. Welcome to the Cut Tour Podcast, Jeremy Bloom. Um, man, good friend. Also, an 11-time World Cup gold medalist, three-time world champ, two-time Olympian, former skier, former NFL player, but also a Colorado, University of Colorado outstanding playmaker. Thank you for coming on the Cut to a Podcast. Pleasure to be here, Steve. <laughs> Make yourself at home. Get comfortable. Yes. Man, we're going to jump right into it. Listen, when you're down, what makes you feel better? Ice cream. Cake. Hold, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. What kind, cake, huh? what kind of ice cream? What kind of ice cream? Cookie dough, Oreo, you name it. Okay. Um, chocolate chip cookies. I'm a big dessert guy. In fact, I learned how to ski by my grandfather throwing candy bars down the mountain. True story. Three mm. ages, three, four, and five. The grand, grandfather got off the lift, threw candy bars down the mountain, and if I was good enough to ski down and find them, I could eat them. So uh-huh. I've been a, a bit of a dessert guy my wow. whole life. Have you tried that training on anyone else? Not yet, but, uh. but I have an 11-month 11, 11 Old daughter in the house. Congratulations. She will be learning the same way. Ooh. So, <laughs> so what, 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 what candy bars? Uh, he threw Snickers and Mars candy bars. Those were his favorites. Hmm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Man, a place you would like to travel, but haven't done it yet. Where and why haven't you done it? I would say. I mean, I think Antarctica would be a bucket list thing. Mm. Obviously, it's really hard to get down there. There's not a lot down there, but just to be able to go to all all the continents, I think, would be pretty special. So at some point, I'd like to get get down there. Mm. Um, the, the other one, I, I guess, would be New Zealand. I'd love to track and hike the Milford Sound down there. It's just, you know, really incredible, beautiful landscape. And, you know, I love being outside and in nature. Yeah. So I think, I think New Zealand and, and Antarctica are two on the list. Okay. Antarctica is definitely on brand for you. Brother like me ain't going to Antarctica. <laughs> I, I don't think a lot of people are putting that on their list overall. Yeah. Um, on brand for Jeremy though. What what's the most beautiful drive you've you've taken? 
Um, I would say, you know, you know, I was part of the United States ski team for a bunch of years. We would compete. We'd start the season in Europe and we'd ski um, the, the Pyrenees. Like, you know, in, in, in France, we'd, we'd ski the Alps. You know, in, in Switzerland, we'd see, ski the Dolomites in, in Italy. Um, I, I would say, you know, nothing can compare to that. Certainly nothing I've experienced in the United States because the mountains are just so much higher, mm-hmm. not from an elevation perspective, but the, the towns basically start at sea level and the, yep. the mountains go up to, you know, whatever, 8,000 feet and they just, they look like Mount Everest. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, driving in, in, the, in the Alps or the Dolomites or the Pyrenees is just, you know, otherworldly. It's pretty incredible over there. Now, um, are, are the Alps ungroomed like in Colorado and, and, and Utah? I heard they're a little bit more dangerous. The, the Alps are, are more, there's less trees in the Alps. So there's not a ton of tree skiing. It's just like big mountains, open mountains and runs for days. And a lot of the ski areas in, in Europe, you can ski from country to country. That's how big they are. Like you can ski from one country and go have lunch in another country and then ski back and take, uh, take the lifts. Um, but you know, they, they do groom some of the, some of the runs, some of the mountains, but it's more off piece, more backcountry skiing than, than typically like in Colorado. Is that why you, you have, I, I'm assuming you have, uh, more injuries out there, uh, skiing out there. Cause I've heard that some of the, some of the, of the skiing out there is a little less, um, they have less warning. They have less, you know, understanding where you are. Cause you know, you're in Colorado, you know, I ski in Utah a lot and there's just like, you know, if you're going off, you know, (laughs) off the trail and I hear in in Europe, you, you don't find out until you're off the trail and down the hill. You are spot on Steve. That's exactly how it is. I mean, we're the land of regulations here in the United States, yes. like we have regulations for the regulations and that certainly <laughs> plays out in skiing. Yeah. So like it's, you, you don't have to be very intelligent or a good skier to follow the regulations in the United States, but yes, o- over in, over in Europe, um, they, they don't really tell you if you're going off piece or off yeah. mountain, you really have to pay attention to like the, the runs cause you will find yourself so, in the complete backcountry. And those backcountry um, runs would be a, a a black diamond or 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 harder blue than you would anticipate. Where you know, in like in Utah or Colorado, you you you'll see as well lit and understand. You go down this one. This is now a mogul, right? <laughs> and am I am I off base? Because going. No. Going to the Swiss Alps is one of those that that's that's one of my bucket lists that I'm I'm gonna do, but I'm also a yeah. little bit hesitant because of the runs just aren't well. Uh, they don't have a lot of good direction. No, you'll be fine as long as you pay attention, and you know you, you got to go to Zermatt. If you go to Switzerland, you got to ski Zermatt. It's probably the best ski area in the world. Mm. Um, it's the Paramount, you know, Paramount Pictures, you know, the mountain yeah. uh, from the Paramount Pictures. That's, that's where the mountain, you know, comes from. It's, it's, it's in Zermatt, Switzerland. It's incredible. <laughs> it's an incredible town. Um, I, I'm sure you will be great on skis. I don't know how much you've, you've skied before. I went snowboarding with Troy Palomalu, um, and it's it was like hilarious because he, he, he snowboards just like he played football. Like he's just absolutely fearless, like trying backflips when he had no yes, business you know. doing backflips. No. And like, uh-uh. you know, he's just, you know, you, you guys are, 
guys are fearless and no you know, i i've been skiing since 2003 so, college did yeah. you ski did you ski when you went to yeah, I, I skied out there, and then once I was done, once I graduated, once I left college, I started skiing. So I ski now, and I go to Utah. I, I primarily go to Utah. I've been to Breckenridge, I think. Was it Breckenridge? Yep. We've been to Breckenridge. That's what, you were with I'm, me. I'm not, bro. My, no, you were you were with me. Yeah, when but we, my GPS ain't regulated in, okay. still in, in Utah just yet. No, no. If we you said I was there. No, we're Colorado. Colorado. I still don't remember the name. Right. Of it. So we it was, was in, uh, I know it was in Vail. Yeah, I so I think it was Breckenridge. So we did Breckenridge, um, but mainly I do um, the canyons because I have an Epic Pass. So that's that's where I yep. like to go on. And I'm I'm one of those guys too. Like uh, I don't need them, but I've had them long enough. I need some new ski boots. Okay. And then because I need new ski boots, I need some new new ski pants. Just go the whole just go the whole nine. Get the whole ski whole new wardrobe. outfit. Yeah, yep. absolutely. <laughs> like I I yeah I think I'm gonna do that. I think the only thing I so won't like buy though. Like Dan said, you look good, you ski good. Yeah, but you don't buy the jacket. Those jackets are expensive though. I, I, won't. I think I heard Prime say that. Yeah, he said it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> gonna, you. I didn't see some dudes look really good on the lift. Brothers, get off the lift. Mm-mm-mm. See, I just I just drink a beer and watch y'all. Ski. Yeah. I'm so, good. all right, let's get into it, man. Uh, where are you from in a place you call your hometown? I'm from Loveland, Colorado, born and raised in Northern Colorado, kind of outside of Boulder, and uh, went to school at the University of Colorado, played football there, uh, made a couple stints in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and the Philadelphia Eagles, so lived out on the East Coast for a little bit, and then, you know, for the last decade, I've been really focused on building a nonprofit, Wish of a Lifetime. We grant wishes to 80, 90, and 100-year-old people. It's been a, just an incredible journey, and then uh, building a company, um, Integrate, and uh, we're a we're an enterprise software business, and we were recently uh, acquired by a private equity firm by the name of Audex. It's based in Boston, mm-hmm. and so it was a great milestone for everybody involved in the business. And congratulations! About three hundred, thank you. About three hundred employees globally, and now we're working inside of of Audex to to build an even bigger business. So mm-hmm. those two things keep me pretty busy, but I'm currently residing back in Colorado um, and living in Boulder. Still feels like you're just scratching the surface on all the things you're either doing or have done. You're just a, a, a man of many gifts and talents. I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I've been very blessed and been able to, you know, just just try a lot of different things in life, from football to skiing to you know, building a nonprofit, to building a business, to being on the front lines of bringing name, image, and likeness to, to college athletes. Of course, I had my own battles with the NCAA, yeah, yeah. We you know, when I was that. at Colorado. We're we'll get into that because I, I, I think yeah. a lot of people don't really realize the extent of what you had to deal with personally. Yeah, you like the godfather. You know, professionally <laughs> and what, what it did, how it held you back, how it impacted you, um, prof- you know, amateurly and, and, and professionally, you know, how what it did to your psyche as well. So we'll get into that. But man, um, man, growing up in Colorado, the mountains, skiing, snowboarding, man, you were destined to do extreme sports. But what 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 really captured your heart in having such a strong desire to want to do sports at, at at such a young age? And what was that age? Yeah, it, it, it really happened because of two defining moments in my life. Mm. 
the, the first was, and I was born in 1982. John Elway was drafted in 1982. We were huge Denver Bronco fans. So from a very young age, I would watch the Denver Broncos play football every Sunday with my, with my dad. So I wanted to be John Elway from a very young age. So mm. football really was the, the dream first. I only grew to five foot nine. So the idea of being a quarterback was kind of thrown out the window and, and uh, I, I was moved to receiver in, in high school. And then when I was 10 years of age, um, I, I saw the Olympics for the first time, the winter Olympics. And I saw skiing and I saw a guy by the name of Edgar Grosperon win a, an Olympic gold medal in front of his hometown crowd in team France. And it was really at that moment. And, you know, I'd been skiing for about seven years, just casually as, you know, with, with my family. It was really at that moment where I, I, I told my parents I wanted to ski in the Olympics and, and I wanted to play in the NFL. And then I wanted to dedicate my, my whole life, you know, my, my childhood and early adulthood to, to you know, trying to, to live out both of those dreams. So I knew pretty young um, that I wanted to be a skier and a football player. What was your parents' response when you said you want to do both of those things? No, he, hold on. He, de- he, he said he wanted to dedicate his life. I know. That's why, <laughs> that's why I want to ask, as from a, from a parent standpoint, what was their response? Because I know my mom would, well, go on somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if but you talk about, I want to dedicate my life yeah. to ski. Like that is such that is such an abnormal th- statement for a kid. Like I want to be a I, not I want to be a football player. I want to be a skier. But when you say de- I want to dedicate my life, I'm just I'm like. You know, just brothers just trying to get dedicate a crust- your life to cleaning your room. Hey, brothers just trying to get a crustable. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> No, seriously, what was, what was their response? Yeah. I, so, so both my parents have always had a healthy disrespect for the impossible. Mm. And so, you know, both of them said, you know, you can do that if you attack your dreams. And, they, you know, they, they conditioned us at a pretty young age to, to know that life wasn't going to give us any handouts. You know, we weren't kids that, you know, if we fell down and hurt ourselves, we weren't allowed to complain for too long. We, we were getting up, putting some duct tape on it, and, you know, we were, we were, you know, we were going to keep moving. And if we, if we didn't succeed at something, we were never allowed to kind of blame other people. So, you know, we were conditioned at a young age to know that, hey, you know, life is hard. Um, accomplishing great things is really hard. And if you want to be world-class at anything, you better work harder than anybody else. And you better go attack your dreams and goals. And so that was kind of the framework in which, we, you know, my brother, sister, and I were raised. And so, you know, at 10, I knew that if I wanted to do that, I, I did have to dedicate my life. I did have to work harder than anybody else. And if I did that and went, and went and, and attacked it, then who knows, maybe I could accomplish it. I love Cut To It, and I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at Cut To It on Instagram. What about Twitter? At Cut To It. Facebook, cut to it featuring Steve Smith Sr. What about online? And you can follow us at cuttoitpodcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers. um, I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cuttoitpodcast.com. How did you attack from that point forward? If you're looking for the most epic place on earth... Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure.
Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, I, I really focused on putting in more hours than anybody else. And whether that was kind of in, in, at the regional levels of skiing in the early days where I was just competing with folks and you know, kids in Colorado, I would observe what they did. I would, I would see how they trained. I would see how long that they spent on it. And I would try to just do more. Um, hmm. and, and same in, in football. I, I had to do more in football. I, I was, uh, you know, I think I was born with more ability in skiing from a very young age. Coaches said, gosh, you, you, you know, you could ski in the Olympics. You have, a, you have a, a pretty, pretty good ability. I was the smallest kid on every football field I ever stepped on. And most people outside of my inner circle would, would, would commonly say, like, what are you doing playing football? You're going to get hurt. You're a good skier. Maybe you got a future there. Quit, quit football and, and go focus on skiing. But, but again, you know, I, I watched guys like Steve Smith, you know, and, and Steve knows this, but like there was no receiver who I looked up to more my entire life than Steve Smith. And I watched thousands of hours, and Steve was nice enough to send me some, some clips when I was at, um, at the Eagles on how to get off the line of scrimmage uh, against press coverage. Nobody did it better, period. Like I'll, 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 I'll go to bat on that one and, and played, you know, at five, nine, but played like six foot four. I, I, I tried to embody everything that Steve, that you, you, you brought to the, to the football field. And that helped me a lot because I don't think inherently just from a, you know, a height, weight, skill set perspective, I should have had success in college, I should have been drafted in the NFL. I, I think I really had to try to overachieve and, and try to work really hard um, to be able to have the success that, that I did in sport. Well, that leads me to, you know, one, first of all, I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you telling your fans and our fans just the, the willingness that you had. And then also, obviously, the rapport that we had when you were, you know, just coming out and just being drafted. And, you know, I always I, – I watched them and they would talk about this uh, this little receiver, this little returner. Uh, what I saw was a guy who was uh, dynamic, who was an instant impact player at Colorado um, and just loved the way he played. Um, but really what caught my attention was all of the hoobla to get you on the football field. And we'll get we'll – st- we're still holding that tight – but with all the success that you had at such a young age, how much was football still tugging at you? Because you are now, you, you, you're talking about at the age, by the age of 15, you became the youngest freestyle skier to ever make the U.S. ski team. Hey, I mean, you were on the biggest stages. You were in all these different countries. And yet that pigskin was still calling. <laughs> It never stopped calling Steve ever. It, you know, not after I won my first world championship, not after I made my first. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. What, uh, how old were you? First 19. world championship. 19. 19 years old. What, what did that do for you? It, it was a surreal moment in my life. 
um, because I, I won that world championship the same year that I was named as a freshman All-American at the <laughs> University of Colorado. Mm. And I'm sitting here at 19 thinking to myself, gosh, these are, I'm living out my wildest childhood dreams. And on, on, on one hand, I was just over the moon excited because the feeling of being the best in the world, of knowing there's not a single other person on this planet who's better at what you do and proving that mm. like I was able to do in skiing is an incredible feeling. But on the other hand, it really made me start thinking about life after sports because mm. it's like, okay, I'm like 19 on top of the world. It's not going to last you know, forever. Where am I going to put all this passion that I have um, for football and skiing when, when it's all over? And I was really, you know, that fear of living an unfulfilled life beyond sports really drove me to kind of plant a lot of different seeds outside of athletics over the next decade from 19 to 28 or 29 mm. that ultimately led me to the path I am now. Um, but, but anytime, gosh, winning a world championship, being the best in the world and knowing that all the blood, sweat, tears, long hours, you know, all the failures along the way were just avenged and I'm the best in the world was a really cool feeling. But from a mental standpoint, how are you, how are you balancing that? I had to learn how to balance it really. Um, and I wasn't good at it in the beginning. Mm. It, it's in, and it's a bit ironic because in, in third grade, I probably, you know, spent more time practicing my autograph than I did in math or science or any, any other subject. Mm. I always had this drive to be known in the world, to, to be famous in the world. And then I reached a level of notoriety and, and, and fame. And I absolutely hated it. I, it I, I hated the fact that people I didn't know had a preconceived notion of who I was. Mm. And, you know, I read too many press clippings at that age and I would, you know, get really down on, you know, anytime somebody would say something bad about me. So, you know, I wasn't very good at it at 19 or 20 or 21. It, it took me a couple of years to kind of figure out how to deal with that type of spotlight. I think it's fair to say you, you, you are becoming one of the youngest freestyle skiers. At age 15, you're a world champion at 19. I'm going out on a limb. It's pretty safe to say. You're really just discovering puberty, hormones, success, failure. You're learning about your own heart as you are developing it and experiencing these things for the very first time. And yet you got these grown folk who don't even know you writing articles that impacts who people perceive you to be. Mm -hmm. And yet you barely know yourself based on this new Jeremy Bloom. You're Jeremy Bloom, the youngest freestyler on the Olympic team or the U.S. ski team. A year and a half later, two years later, three years later, four years later, you're Jeremy Bloom who's 19, who's 18. You're figuring it out as you go. But you are a young man experiencing grown men achievements and talking to grown men and women who are now judging you with the same critical eye, but not giving you that grace of a little kid that you are. So well said. And that, that resonates with me. Every word you said resonates with me. I'm, at 18 or 19, to your point, you don't, you don't, I didn't know who I was at, at all. And the more that I would read these articles, to some extent, I, I would build my identity through what people were writing because I didn't know who I was. So I was 
very influential, just like any 18 or 19 year old. So, you know, I, I, did, I obviously had to get to a point where I stopped reading the articles and that was, that was a big step forward, you know, for me. And, I, and I'm lucky, look, like, you know, I, I've lived a life in, in a career where most of the articles have been positive. Um, I, I'm not a super polarizing figure where I've done a lot of controversial things in my life. I, you know, most of them were, you know, pretty positive. I couldn't imagine, you know, being someone who's a bit more polarizing at a young age and, 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 and not only, you know, reading what, what's in the press, but to your point, earlier point, if you have a Twitter handle, yeah. you know, now you got a microphone and, and, and you can say whatever you want and, and, and tag the person. It's, um, it's no wonder that we're, why, you know, mental health issues are, are, you know, on are just skyrocketing, especially, you know, for young kids. How important was your support system? And, and huge. And how good was the support system? I was really lucky from a support system perspective mm. because both my parents have been very involved in my life and great advisors. Uh, both my brother and sister have always kept me grounded and humbled. I'm the youngest, and I've never been super cool to them, no matter what I've what I've accomplished. And you know, my my dad, you know, instilled the the behavior of being becoming a champion inside of me, and my mom instilled the behavior of giving back and being humble and mm. and and trying to treat people with great respect. And so I had, you know, I, I was very lucky with the parents that I had growing up to to instill those values. And then, you know, I was really fortunate to, to just meet some exceptional people at a young age. I met John Elway when I was a really young guy and I, you know, was able to, to communicate with him and be around him and look up to him. I get met guys like you, Steve, and, and Ben Roethlisberger and Heinz Ward and these guys at a very young age. And so I was, I was able to kind of emulate what, what, the, what they were doing. And in skiing, this, the same thing was true, you know, you know, befriending world champions at the age of 12, 13, 14, I've always been a big believer. Like if you can surround yourself with people who are doing it at the highest level and you pay attention to what they're doing and you're a sponge in the room, you got a great chance of maybe becoming them one day. And, and, and uh, so I've, I've, I feel like I'm just a product of a lot of the, the, the great and amazing people I've been around in my life. Take us through this whole amateur status back in the day, NCAA. You're skiing, playing football. Like, take us through that. I don't want to press you, but you know, it's been a it's been a while. So I just want to, you know, give me some statute of limitations around here. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. So <laughs> I I just want you to give your take of what you experienced as the individual going through it. My situation was that you know I graduated high school. Um, I took that next year off to go compete in the Olympics. Mm, and I, flex. I enrolled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just went to the Olympics. Where was the Olympics at that time that you took a year? You took a gap year. I took a gap year. Salt Lake City, 2002. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I went to the Olympics and then I enrolled in the University of Colorado and, and, and I had a full ride scholarship there. When I enrolled in the University of Colorado, I was 19. I was the number one ranked skier in the world and, and uh, an Olympian. And the NCAA said, all right, well, if you're going to, if you're going to, play amateur football for the Colorado Buffaloes, you can't accept any money in skiing because that would make you a professional. But I said, well, wait, that's hypocritical because you allow other amateur athletes to be professional in one sport and an amateur in another. A couple examples, Drew Henson made over $1.5 million baseball. while playing professional baseball and amateur football at Michigan. Ricky Williams did the, same, did the same at Texas, and there's a bunch of other examples. And so I said, well, how is that any different? I'm, I'm a skier. You know, no, I don't play baseball, but I'm skiing for the United States. And 
anyway, they, they said no, no, no. And I sued them in Boulder District Court. Um, unfortunately, my, my judge sided with the NCAA, was reluctant to, to modernize the system and structure at that point in time. So I, I had to you know, tear up all of my endorsement contracts and any ability to make money as a skier and pay for my, you know, it's very expensive to fly around the world and have mm. coaches and whatever. Um, and I did that for two years playing for the University of Colorado, wow. um, not accepting any endorsements or accepting any victory money for skiing because I, I, you know, I had a dream to play for the Colorado Buffaloes. And then after my sophomore year, I was just broke. And I wanted to go to the 2006 Olympics in Italy. And I, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it unless I accepted endorsements. And so I accepted endorsements. I told the NCAA, I'm not leaving. They'd have to kick me out of school. And they waited about six, seven months. And right before fall camp, my, my junior season, they, they declared me permanently ineligible for taking ski, ski endorsement money. Mm. Yeah. What did that do yeah. to you? I was, I was infuriated. I was so pissed off. I, I, I you know, it, it was the hardest pill I think I've probably ever had to swallow because here I was, I, I worked so incredibly hard to be in this position, um, to, to have an opportunity to play college football, to have an opportunity to ski for the United States. My coaches on both sides were fine. I was having a, a lot of success in both sports and an organization that I didn't know a single person that never spoke to anybody yet in Indianapolis took away my dream of being the number one receiver on my Colorado Buffalo team, my, my junior and senior season. My sophomore year, I was the number three receiver behind two very good receivers. One went off, went to play in the NFL. The other one was a free agent for a while. And that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the number one receiver. I wanted to have a chance to prove that I could be number one receiver on a, on a team. That development that I would have gotten my junior and senior year is, is invaluable. I never you know got that. And to think that it was all taken away from me by this, you know, kind of nameless organization in the Apples NCAA who, you know, the, the judge, the jury, the executioner, what they say go, they don't have to be held accountable to anybody. Um, it was frustrating. It was really, really frustrating for me. And it was hard to go back to the games. You know, I would go to some of the games, watch from the stands and just it would eat me up inside. Just hmm. absolutely eat me up inside. In what way did that plant some of the seeds of what you're doing now? Some of your work with Integrate, how much did that kind of, I don't know, you probably didn't know it then, but how, how did that plant those seeds? Well, the seeds that it really planted was I was going to dedicate whatever portion I needed to in my life to fight for name, image, and likeness, to fight for student athlete rights. Because I, I didn't want anybody, I didn't want another athlete to ever have to go through what I went through. And, and so I testified in, in Congress on due process in the NCAA. Um, we put out a documentary last year on, on, on Vice called College Sports Inc., which did a phenomenal job telling the story of amateurism. Um, I've you know answered every call from every state senator, work closely with senators from California to Colorado to work on name, image, and likeness. And, you know, fortunately we got there, you know, and now we're living in a, in a time where student athletes have rights. And not only do they have rights in another sport, like I was asked for, they have, they have rights in their own sport. So mm -hmm. like, you know, they, they can capitalize on, on their name, image, and likeness and ability. And, and I think that's what's right. I know that's going to create some complexities for athletic directors and and coaches, you know, you've got the transfer portal now and people can freely transfer and yeah. you've got some other challenges, but, but, you know, it ultimately comes down to a civil rights issue of those kids. That's their ability. That's their name. It's their image. It's their likeness. If they want to monetize it, can monetize it. They should be able to do it just like you can. Yeah. They should be able to monetize it because the colleges are monetized. Yeah. And, and what, what most people don't realize when they even think about those numbers is that, you know, they think, well, you know, the NCAA pays for scholarships or these schools pay for the scholarships and it comes out of the athletic department. Well, that's not the case. Right. In most of the big schools, you have individual 
donors. Yep. I had a scholarship donor at the University of Colorado who paid for my education. An individual, Roy Durbin was his name. Mm -hmm. So the University of Colorado didn't pay for my education. The NCAA didn't pay nope. for my education. Roy Durbin did. Yep. And so all the billions of dollars that's coming in through, through college athletics and, and certainly football and basketball, all of that's going to who? who? It's going to the coaches. Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to the schools. Yeah. And none of it, very, very little, hardly any of it is going to the people yeah. on the field who the people buy tickets to go see. Well, how, it's it's like it's comp. Well, how, how about, how about it's this? Comp. My scholarship, Steve and Angie Smith wide receiver scholarship, every year I get the new name and a plaque of the receiver. They there you go. reach the benefit of my scholarship. The wide receivers meeting room at the University of Utah, Steve Smith wide receiver room, costs about 75000 The music that is played coming out of the tunnel before the home game at the University of Utah, $50,000. I wrote the check for it. Mm -hmm. Being part of the school, I start to see, like, wow. Mm -hmm. Now I get to see when I was the player, I didn't realize the tunnel we were coming out of or the, or the seat cushion I was sitting in, mm -hmm. someone else paid for it. I do believe the honor of paying back because a complete stranger paid for my tush to be cushioned before the game that I, I am responsible for reciprocating the same thing. Shaky Smith, I think he was a receiver. I don't think I ever met him. But it's the point of, it's not about who he was. It was a, the purpose of who he could be. Mm. The same way the complete stranger said who I can be. And so I think it's my inherent right and duty to pay for that complete stranger the same way a complete stranger paid for me. Pay it forward. Yeah. Yes, sir. Because if it wasn't for that complete stranger, I, there's a trickle-down effect that I don't want to know what I would have not experienced. I probably wouldn't be – I know for a fact I wouldn't have the opportunity to be doing this podcast. I wouldn't even be friends with you hmm. because of that complete stranger, because of that cushion seat. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But, yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in, like, 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue, with its powerful, DC turbo engine? Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
What added pressure did you feel after getting drafted, having to walk away from skiing, and then start a you know a new venture in the area that you you believe exactly what you wanted, but it, 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 you went to a place that man, it's, a little, it's a little rugged. It ain't like Colorado, I can tell you that. You got drafted by the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Yeah. So, it, you know, at 23, when I got drafted at that point in time, I, I knew how to deal with pressure. I, I'd skied into Olympics. I'd you know, played in big 12 championship game. So, so it wasn't the pressure that I think got to me at all. It was, it was the attention of being a rookie on a team without proving any of my worth and having all the cameras on me mm. that bothered me. And, and that also bothered me at the university of Colorado when I was a freshman before I did anything because because of the, the two sport nature of it. And the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, turn off my new teammates to, you know, the, the attention that I was receiving. So try to do, you know, the best to, to minimize that. The, the, the biggest challenge I had in the NFL was that I hadn't run with cleats on for two straight years. Mm. I, I underestimated the impact that that would have. Um, and so the, you know, the muscles that you use to, to really sprint and be a receiver and cut and get out of breaks, like, you know, the hamstrings and, and some of the calf muscles that you don't use in, in, in skiing just um, were underdeveloped. Not at all in, relation. in skiing. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. You're literally in a boot. Yeah. So like, you know, like two years of not, you know, if I had to do it over, I just, I would have cross trained more mm-hmm. during that 2005, 2006 heading up to the Olympics. Cause when I got, and it didn't happen immediately, but when I got into training camp and you know, Steve, like how many miles you need to sprint during those training camps and your body's got to be really well conditioned to take on, you know, that, that type of situation. My, my hamstring just popped, you know, it, it reached the point where it didn't have the, the, the stamina in it or the, or the muscles in it. And, and uh, that, that created a challenging situation for me. I, I, that's what I found so interesting when we were getting ready to talk with you is that being a two-sport athlete is one thing, but you were a two-sport athlete that used very, very distinct muscle groups, right? Like you just talked yeah. about your feet being in boots, whereas when you're playing football, you're having to use so many foot movements, right? Cuts, getting out of breaks, all, all that stuff. So like, how, how were you able, I mean, of course, you know, unfortunately it ended with your hamstring, but throughout when you were playing in high school and in college, how were you able to balance these two sports from a, from a physical standpoint that are so unparalleled? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, the, the, the physiology is completely different. Um, the anatomy is completely different. Um, but as I was growing up, I would, I would always cross train. I mean, you know, ski season would end in April, May, I was playing football. And it would happen that, like, you know, like, like clockwork. And it wasn't until the NCAA took away my scholarship and kind of forced me to, to focus only on skiing for, for those two years that I just didn't play football anymore. And I just said, all right, I'm just going to focus on, on skiing and, you know, being the best skier I can be. And then maybe I'll have an opportunity to, to go play football. And, uh, that, you know, I paid the price for doing that. So, you know, I was able to balance that, you know, most of my athletic career, but, but it hit a bit, hit a bit of a breaking point. Um, you know, in the NFL. What did you learn from pro skiing and what did you learn from pro football? Well, football is obviously a team sport. You know, you win and die as a team. You can have your best individual game ever and lose and you're, you're going to feel pretty pretty crappy. Um, and skiing is an individual sport, right? So you, you're either best in the world or not that day and it's your fault if you aren't. So um, there's kind of this singular accountability nature to, to skiing. Um 
look, I don't think that in, there's anything like the Olympics, you know, walking in opening ceremonies and representing the country and being around the world's best athletes and lots of different disciplines to, you know, living in the Olympic village for, for three weeks to, to a month and meeting a lot of other incredible athletes. You know, it was the honor of my life to, to represent the country twice uh, in the Olympics. That being said, football in America, it's the biggest sport in our country. I mean, it's, it's, it's every week, 70,000, 80,000 people on, on, uh, on national TV. And that excitement, that thrill, that pressure, that magnifying glass, it, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to duplicate that. You certainly can't duplicate it in, in skiing because in skiing, you have one big, big event every four years. It's mm. not, not every Saturday or every Sunday. How grateful are you to have, you had the ability to focus in on one sport, skiing, and then how, you know, and, and basically because you had the opportunity to do that, you excelled greatly in that. Well, you know, as I look back at my athletic career and some people have asked me, hey, you know, do you think you would have had more success if you just focused on one? Like if, if, if you didn't ski and you only played football and dedicate 100% of your time to football and, you know, maybe you could have won a Super Bowl or maybe you could have, you know, been an all pro, or, you know, whatever. And as I think about that, I, I wouldn't trade that for the experiences that I had across both sports. Um, you know, I kind of look back at my athletic career and, and, and just feel incredibly grateful um, and humbled by whatever, whatever I was able to accomplish and the journeys that I was able to go on and people that I, I was able to, to meet in both sports. So I really wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. You know, even if I was a four-time Olympic gold medalist in skiing, if I would have never played football or if I would have been a multiple Super, Super Bowl champ, I did something in, in athletics that no human being has ever done. Um, skiing the Olympics and he drafted into the NFL. And, and I think that that's pretty cool because there's been a lot of human beings on the planet, a lot of multi-sport athletes. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an accomplishment that, that I hold you know, near and dear to my heart. What's the benefit to versatility? The common thread for me in life is, is uh, I think I always think of things with the end in mind and thinking about life with the end in mind, like we're not here for that long. Like talk to anybody in their 80, 90s or older, they'll tell you this thing goes really, really fast. And I believe that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we have a very finite period of time in, in, in our lives to go do the things we've always wanted to do and accomplish. And so I've always thought of myself as, you know, more of a life experience guy. Like I just want to experience as much as I possibly can on this, this you know, little amount of time that, that I'm here. And fortunately, I've been able to have success in a lot of those areas. Um, and I've learned in all of them. And I think the common thread for me is, is I get energy from other things, hmm. from other challenges. If I only focused on one thing every day, I would probably get burned out and become disinterested. And so I think, you know, especially for kids, playing multiple sports is a great thing. I see kids, parents saying, oh, you got to specialize in one sport at the age of eight. I'm like, are you kidding me <laughs> at the age of eight? Like, you really want to pick, like, that kid should be playing everything. everything. Yeah. Um, yep. So, so I, 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 I think, you know, diversity is, is really helpful in, in our lives. Just talk about the, 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 the evolution of your business, but then also how sports has helped you and how sports have hurt you in yeah. business. So, so, so sports has really helped me in business, primarily thinking about, um, having a deep conviction and belief 
that very few things are impossible. And anytime you're building a new company, you're going to reach points in time. I certainly did. We did. Where it just feels like failure is inevitable. <laughs> like the chat, like the challenge is just too insurmountable. Yeah, they, when it rains, like, it pours. It rains, it pours. I mean, like we've almost failed three or four times at Integrate, the company I started a decade ago. And it was during those times that I really drew back into my athletic experience saying, no, I reject that. Mm. And I'm going to use grit, tenacity. I'm going to freaking figure it out. And we were able to do that. So now, it's, it's how, me. how did your employees and how did those people handle that grit and tenacity because they weren't, you know, you're on, a, you aren't on a gridiron, you aren't yeah. on a, on, you aren't on a, on the ski lift, right? You're not on a mogul. You just, yeah. you're out there with a, with a stapler and a, and, and, and some white out <laughs> and an ink pen. <laughs> And some sticky notes. <laughs> well, I'm, I've been super lucky to work alongside people who I would go into any rabbit hole with. Mm. And those people, you know, because business is the ultimate team sport. Not a single individual who can build a great, great business. You, you really need functional leaders in every other business doing great things. And we had that. We had that to, to achieve. One of the things that the biggest leadership lesson I had to learn in you know, building a startup and growing a business to the point where, where we are now is you, you can't talk to everybody the same. Like if you're in front of a football team, you know there's a common language to get people motivated. You know that people, people have been called every curse word you can imagine. It rolls, like there's just like, you can't do that in business. You got a lot of people who have never even been yelled at their whole life. Yeah. You know, and you got engineers who think a lot differently. So like in the early days of Integrate, I'd come in, like drawing my experience from Mike Tomlin. Like, Uh-oh. Like, <laughs> You know, what, what would, what would Andy Reid do? You know, like, what was some of my Olympic yeah. and, and I got in trouble because you know the sales guys t- typically they're like, they think like athletes. So like you can treat them more like a football player mm. and they're like, they'll run through walls. Yeah. But if you got a bunch of engineers in a group and you're trying to inspire them like a football coach, they're going to turn white. <laughs> and, and, and uh, so, you know, I had to, I had to learn pretty quickly that, I had to change the way that I spoke to the whole group and say different things to different people and understand people like to ingest information in different ways. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the 48 hour rule. So this was my, my second Olympics and I came into that Olympics as the number one ranked skier in the world. And um, I, I was you know skiing great and had a great first run and made just the tiniest mistake. Um, you know, one inch split in the legs in the final run. That's all it takes in the sport of freestyle skiing. And I didn't win that Olympic gold medal that I wanted. And I was just devastated. And I was sitting there in Torino, Italy, thinking about how in the world am I going to recover from this? And I, I, I came up with this, the 48-hour rule. And I said, I'm going to take 48 hours. I set my watch. I turned off my phone. I didn't talk to a single person. And I just said, I'm going to do whatever I need to do for 48 hours and feel bad for myself or learn, you know, dissect what happened and, 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 and try to you know, come up with the common learnings. And after that 48-hour window, I'm done feeling sorry for myself and moving on 1,000 miles an hour. And it was through that kind of mental conditioning. And now I use it in my life today. You know, you get bad news from a customer. We'll cancel a contract. You got to deal with that or you will fight with the wife or, you know, whatever. And I'll try to, you know, be disciplined. It's not always 48 hours. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's shorter. I think think developing the muscle, the the brain muscle to be able to move on from things Mm -hmm. and not look back is a a healthy one. You had the opportunity last year to 
you know, you're featured in HBO film called the, the weight of gold, you know, take us through that process of why you felt it was necessary for, for you to take part, uh, in, in that, in that documentary through HBO. Yeah, this was a huge passion project for me. I had personal connections to the story. So Jarek Speedy Peterson was a skier I, I grew up skiing with. We both went to the Olympics together. He's an Olympic silver medalist. And he came to me at one World Cup just devastated, saying he, he fights demons. I had no idea what that meant at the age of 22 or 23, wherever I was. Ultimately, sadly, Jarek took his life. He committed suicide um, a couple of years ago, several years ago. And, and after he took his life, I, I said, gosh, I, I need to get smarter on this, this the topic of mental health. I, I felt ignorant. I felt somewhat responsible um, because I wasn't there for him. I didn't know what the right things to say were. Um, and so so the um, Brett Ratkin is the, is the producer of the film. He, he was doing a story on a bobsledder, um, uh, Stephen Holcomb, who, who took his life during, you know, during the interview while he was still doing the, the story that the night before they were gonna meet together. And he called me and he said, is there a bigger story here? I said, 100% yes, we have to make this film. I called 10 of my Olympian friends. All of them said, I'll, I'll, I'll be interviewed. Um, I raised a bunch of money for the film to get off the ground. And Brett and I, we didn't know it was gonna be called The Way to Gold. We didn't even know HBO was gonna you know, pick it up. We didn't even know if Michael Phelps was gonna be involved at that point in time. We just knew that there was a story here to be told. And the story was, you know, had the goal of, showing folks that even the best Olympians of all time, I'm talking Michael Phelps, I'm talking Apollo Ono and um, you know, Lindsey Vaughn and, and Bodie Miller, Sasha Cohen, go down the list. Everybody struggles to some extent. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to normalize the conversation about mental health, about you know, struggling and show people that it's not just you know, because you don't have money or you don't have fame, you don't have success that you're dealing with you know, demons or, or mental health issues. Mental health doesn't care how many trophies are in your trophy case. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be, you know, incredible documentary. We, we were up for documentary of the year um, in the Emmys, um, changed a lot of lives. I still get a ton of feedback from people. I'm very proud of the story that we told and the courage of, you know, a lot of Olympians to tell their stories. I mean, even Sean White on the documentary said that he's considered, thought about taking his own life after, I think his second or third, third Olympics. So I think it's a, it's a powerful story. Mm. Man, everything you've been through, everything you've experienced, looking back now today as, as older Jeremy Bloom, looking back at young Jeremy Bloom, what would you tell him? He wouldn't believe what I would tell him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and I'm sure, Steve, you think about this too. I mean, you know, going back and having a conversation with our 10-year-old self, 12-year-old self, and just saying, let me, let me walk you through what your life's going to look like. Um, I try to remind myself that because I think, I don't know why this happens, but sometimes I think we get numb to, to our blessings, to the things that we've done in our lives. And I'm not just talking in sports, but you know how we've given back and the life that we're living. And oftentimes we're our worst critic and mm -hmm. we're hardest on ourselves and we don't give ourselves credit for the things that we do and things that we work on. And, and I you know, sometimes think about going back and sitting down with my 10-year-old or 12-year-old self and walking him through his life. Yeah. And uh, I just try to imagine what that 10 year old or 12 year old would, would say. And I think suffice to say, he'd be pretty pumped on yeah. where we are. And he wouldn't believe you. Up to. He wouldn't, he <laughs> he wouldn't, wouldn't, I don't think that no wouldn't way. be a believable no type yeah, thing. Like, You're lying. <laughs> right. I, I, I think one of the things that why we're one of the, a lot of athletes, no matter what you've played, how far you've played, I think they are really 
we've been told to act like you've been there before, mm-hmm. be humble and be this, that I think we have stopped ourselves from actually embracing the celebration of some success because think about it. You have a 48-hour rule for when you fail, but you don't have a 48 for when you, for when you have success. Yeah, like you're a freaking 11-time <laughs> Olympian, I, uh, it's, part of, know, it's part of the grind culture too. Like yeah. we don't, we we, yep. we 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 minimize success. We and we and we maximize, you know, what we totally. do wrong. So yeah, I, I think it's and that and that spans across. I know, but, but I'm just, yeah. I I I really like. I'm sitting here thinking about it. Like we don't, we've been mm-hmm. told so many times to act like you've been there before. I'm 43 years old now, and I don't know what it's like to score a touchdown anymore, right? <laughs> Not saying that I want to go backwards and see how it feels. Like I asked myself, what if I really just threw a 48 hour party in my head that possibly can change the dichotomy of the lens I see things of success versus, all right, I done it. Move on to the next thing. Instead I love of that idea, right? Yeah. That's you know, a great idea. And I'm not talking about like party. I'm not talking about like a party, but I just mean a just celebrating a taking psychological. Time, it's taking time to celebrate what you've accomplished yeah, or what you've done uh, or the or the or the the positive things because this yeah. is right. I mean, and like I said, it's it's really just part of overall. I don't even want to call it microwave generation, but just just culture in general that I, we just tend I, to minimize. We just tend to minimize the good things, and we maximize. Like, oh, I can't believe I did this. Oh, I can't believe I made that bad yep. decision. Oh, what? A, oh, woe is me. And we just don't take the time to I, I, look at the positive. I think that's really interesting, and you're right. We do fixate it on the things that aren't working on our in our lives, or the things that we messed up on, and we don't give ourselves enough credit for the things that that are going well in our lives and the relationships that we have and the support structures that we have, the friends that we have, the, the little wins in life. Yes. I, I completely agree with that. Man, look up imprint. Look up the definition of imprint. That's you. You're leaving an imprint and that's really cool. Thank you, Steve. Love Thank the... you, Steve. That means a lot, man. I'll All see right. you on the slopes. Absolutely. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr. That is me. Is a production of Cut To It LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut To It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Labreck, production coordinator Taylor Robinson. Theme music by Alex Johnson, lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. You ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. know 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.